Welcome to Guilty Treasures, a podcast about everything you ever loved and were afraid to talk about. I'm your host, Ann Kern. And I'm also your host, Emily Cardamus. And I, I guess we want to point out that this week's episode uh, features our very special guest star, Ryan DeGiorgi, who is very special because it took, I think, over a year to get him on the show. Yeah. <laughs> of me just, just kind of at regular intervals pestering him. Uh, <laughs> Through various life events. (laughs) So it's honestly, it's a miracle that he still agreed to do this show and did not just decide that I was too annoying to be worth it. No, never. (laughs) But we're very glad that we were finally able to get the stars to align with him being busy and us being busy and the difficulty of finding something to talk about, especially that no one else has talked about yet, because we're getting far enough in that this has become a problem. Whether there might be potential topic overlap, even though we would be happy to have, I think, I think honestly it would be quite interesting to have somebody come on and, and maybe talk about the same thing in a different way but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see if that if that happens so I feel like the solution in some ways to, to that was to sort of talk about a couple of the things that he wanted to talk about through a broader idea of media preservation uh, which was the topic he decided to bring in his own words uh, but like it was a really uh, it was a conversation that kind of went a bunch of different directions and something that I think like I hadn't really I had only thought about in one scope uh, in like the scope of like the art and comics world. So it was really interesting to hear. Uh, we talk about it mostly in a film perspective. Uh, and it was really interesting to hear like that different sort of how you would treat it in a different media. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that one of the interesting things that we found out doing this show is um, so Ryan had initially come to us at one point with potentially talking about uh, Mystery Science Theater, which we had sort of talked about with our friend Vigil, not in depth, but in again, we're not talking about it in depth, but we are talking about how it relates to the topic that he did choose. And I have been fascinated by how often we have brought somebody on to talk about something that sounds kind of obscure and isolated from their other interests, but that is actually like there's this really complicated web of connections to other things that they're interested in and fascinated by and get excited about. So I I never feel like we go off topic. It it just right. goes to different parts of the topic because you can't actually extricate the things that you're passionate about from each other. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So without further ado, we'll take you to that conversation. A year in the making. <laughs> it was more than a year. It was yeah. more than a year. I kind of want to look it up now and find out. I know it was more than a year. <laughs> Yeah, so basically casual conversation um, and all we're going to ask you to do at the beginning is just kind of introduce yourself, anything you want to say about who you are and what you do, and then if you can tell us what the topic is that you brought. Okay, sounds good. Uh, Hello. Is that a good intro? <laughs> kind of over- it's an energetic hello. It works. Uh, hey, I'm Ryan D. Georgie. I, uh, d- I was a producer on a bunch of seasons of Hello from the Magic Tavern podcast, and now I do still do some behind-the-scenes stuff, but I'm still the voice of Craig. Uh, and I'm also a game director at Jackbox Games, making video games and other creative, fun stuff. That's who I am. Uh, and my topic that I brought is, I guess, media preservation. I'll talk a little bit about what I mean by that, but I couldn't think of a snappier way to put it. So I'm calling it media preservation. I was like, I want to like go on record that when Anne like communicated that this was your topic, I almost yelled just like in my apartment (laughs) randomly because it's just like such a like cool ephemeral topic that can cover so much stuff. So like, yeah. So when you, I guess, use the phrase media preservation, what are you specifically referring to? Well, that was kind of my 
my secret because you guys have been very kindly offering to have me on the show for a while. And I was like, oh, what, what should I do? I want it to be like the perfect thing because I'm like into a lot of dumb, dorky things and I want to pick the right one. And I was kind of actually talking about this with my sister. And I was like, what should I do on this podcast? Like, what do you think of as my thing? And we kind of talked back and forth. And she was like, I don't know, you like Blu-rays a lot. <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if that's really. But I think that that got me thinking like, oh, yeah, it's like. I want to be sure that if I like a thing, that I have it forever and no one can make that decision to take it away, <laughs> which is <laughs> as much as I love our streaming hellscape, that can be a problem with it if you're like, oh, I really like this show. And then if it gets canceled, you don't have it. Or if you have, if I really like this show on, uh, you know, Amazon Prime. It's like, oh, we lost the music rights. It's not there anymore. And even if it gets put out on like DVD or whatever, maybe they, you know, oh, they actually cut three minutes out of it. So sorry, it didn't fit in the disc. And it's like, no, I always want the thing has the way that it was intended to be seen. And I've been weirdly obsessed with this uh, since I was a kid, I, I think, of just sort of like, oh, you know, Batman the Animated Series is on. I want to see all of those. You know, I would keep track of like, what haven't I seen and what have I seen, which at the time was much harder. And But then the internet comes around and it's like, oh, I can see the whole episode guide and they haven't aired this one. And I'm going to like look in TV guide obsessively to see when they're going to air it so I can see the one I missed. And then of course they stopped showing it and I miss it forever. So I've, I've always been like, like very, I'm like the guy who's like, yeah, when, when is that like one season TV show Teen Angel that was on ABC for three minutes? When are they finally <laughs> going to put it out on DVD? Because the fact that I don't have it in a way I can review is really troubling to me. <laughs> I find this a, a very relatable problem Good. as a person who's, who's, uh, who's more interested in obscure 90s genre shows than I really have any right to be. And many of them are either didn't have a DVD release or it was quite limited and and even in terms of people bothering to upload their old VHS tapes to YouTube it's it's pretty scarce and pretty hard to find right do you have a first show that you had to have the physical copy because of some instance like that like you went to look for it on streaming and they didn't have it and you immediately went and bought it I mean I think my like er example is Mystery Science Theater which I love so much my favorite show of all time and of course with Mystery Science Theater very loosely I'm sure everyone who listens to your show knows already but they make fun of uh, movies old movies and the movie rights were always an issue of like well you have the rights to air you know this island earth once uh, or whatever it is or you know for the, the very short window of syndication. And then after like a couple of years, those movie rights go away and therefore that episode can no longer be aired. So there were always so many of those episodes that either were not airing or could never be released on DVD. That Shout Factory, who is like my favorite company in the world, has done a very good job of tracking those rights down and re-releasing most of those episodes. But when I got into Mystery Science Theater, it was right when the, the sci-fi era was starting. They were on the sci-fi channel and like those episodes were airing new. And I was like, oh, I love the show. I'm going to tape every episode. How can I watch the old ones and like at that time this was pre-streaming so it was like well I can buy a, a VHS or a DVD but they were so hard to find because of those movie rights and even shows that like were insanely popular like I really loved the X-Files but like if you miss an episode of the X-Files and it was one of the plot episodes you're like well I have no I guess Mulder's sad I don't know <laughs> and it's like oh is it on VHS yeah it is but it's just like a compilation of three completely unconnected episodes that somebody thought were popular so it's like I've always been um, I've always been very aware that I'm at the whims of like the corporate sort of whatever somebody thinks will sell versus being like, no, I want to see all of it in the order that it was originally seen. But yeah, I mean, there's that stuff. I'm a big Muppet fan and they still haven't released all of that show on DVD. Mm -hmm. Very bitter. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> they, they kept announcing it at Comic-Con and I know. cheer and then it never happens. I know. They showed the box art. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's an open wound. But then even they, so uh, it, you're still sort of at the liberty of like what the companies decide to do, right? Because like they released the Muppet Show, the first three seasons, and it was like, oh, great. And they included a bunch of sketches that weren't in the American releases. They're like, these are the ones we just made for the UK releases. So it's extra stuff. It's like, oh, great. This will be great. Oh, except uh, music rights. So we actually had to cut like three sketches out of it too. So sorry. Or like the Muppet, my favorite Muppet thing is the Muppet Family Christmas, Uh which they only got the music rights for TV. And so they, if you buy the DVD, it has like most of the songs just cut out of it. So I, you know, in college, I started making it my mission to, because, you know, I was very popular and had a lot of, was out doing a lot of parties and things. But in between that... Um, I would scour like, you know, I was part of the Digital Archive Project website, which was a very early pre-torrent media geek board that was like, started with Mystery Science Theater. And it was like, we've got, uh, somebody has like some version of all these episodes. Let's like collect them all together. Best quality we can find. Even if we have to edit two things together to make like a Frankenstein of the best version of this episode and like put it up. And they were very serious about like, because I try not to like go around stealing things. And so this like group was very serious about like, if any episode becomes commercially available, we de-whitelist it. You can't download it. We're only, you know, serving the ones that you can't get anywhere else. And that was kind of part of Mystery Science Theater's thing from the beginning is like at the end of the you know show, they have that thing that keeps circulating the tapes. And so it felt really like a, a, um, a sort of a modern version of that. And then I sort of have used the internet to try to like fill out my collection as I go. But I still am like very obsessed with I want the official DVD. I want like a commentary. I want a Blu-ray if I can get it. And because, you know, I think that streaming stuff is great and I'm happy to do a lot of streaming stuff. But it can go away at any time. And it has like a bunch of stuff. Like I looked at my library recently of like old stuff I had from iTunes and they were like, yeah, you don't have this anymore. Actually, this one thing. We don't we don't know where it went. Sorry. It's like, what? But so it's it's sort of a thing that I have thought about for a long time. I'm, you, I'm literally sitting in front of like some Batman Blu-rays that I was burning to or I was ripping to my Plex server. So I would not have to get out the DVDs uh, as we speak. <laughs> I just bought a copy this week. I bought a copy of The Wrong Guy on Blu-ray, which no one should ever own. But I'm like, this this Dave Foley movie from the 90s is hilarious. If I see it for $10, I'm going to buy it because it's going to go out of print. So I'm a madman is what I'm saying. (laughs) That's funny, though, because it does answer my question was how much of this is like focus on you actually getting the physical media, but also like the fact that there is such a big like digital archive push now. I mean, not only with like movies, but like video games. How significant? is that part of this like preservation mentality you have of like making sure that there is a place that this is like preserved in I guess digitally but in a way that's locked down I mean I think it's huge and a good thing that streaming is more and more prevalent I feel like I'm kind of like of the opinion that well first of all I kind of am a big supporter of like public domain where it's like okay after an artist uh, dies you know plus x years or after or with the company plus x years that goes in the public domain great I feel like that is a big reason why some why stuff is not archived well anymore. Like we have all of Edgar Allan Poe's stuff because anybody can download it for free. So I think that like, this is slightly pre-streaming, but like Netflix in the DVD era was like the best version of this where it's like, hey, if you can buy the DVD, we have it. It's all in one place. You can, we'll send it to you. Uh, And then they focus more on streaming and it's like, okay, well, actually we don't have anything anymore. Uh, What do we have? (laughs) We made uh, House of Cards. But I think that like a streaming service 
I think what we're, where we're moving to now is that every big giant IP holder is going to have their own streaming service. I don't think that's like a great solution, but it does mean that like they have to fill out those libraries with something. And like, if you look at Disney Plus, you are seeing them go like, gee, I don't know, uh, my date with the president's daughter. And I'm like, great. <laughs> I'm glad I can watch my date with the president's daughter. It has like Wilfred Ellen and there's that theme song by the president of the United States. It's like, that should be available. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like Disney was looking under the couch cushions yeah. for anything, anything thing they could find like all the stuff that they wouldn't have bothered to do any kind of dvd release for they will put on streaming just for no reason (laughs) right because it's like so much cheaper and like that makes sense i mean i think that's great and i i like having a physical copy only because then i can make a digital copy that i know i own like i put stuff on my plex server and stuff i don't really it's not that i'm really fetishizing the like paper and plastic of it all but i like having a copy that i know is not ethereal because i know about jafar but i want to know about the return of jafar (laughs) (laughs) but you mentioned video games and I think that's an even like thornier thing. Like there's absolutely a bunch of like really awesome organizations that are like pushing for this and doing. And obviously like there's, you know, a lot of places to download semi-legal Nintendo ROMs, but there's a lot of games that either the emulation on it isn't cracked yet. We can't like perfectly replicate like, you know, uh, PS3 games yet. And if the ones that Sony isn't going to sell you as a, you know, remastered version of the same game or whatever on the PlayStation 5 aren't available to play really anywhere unless you track down a physical PS3. The constant thing people say is like, oh man, I would, if Nintendo just like charged me $10 a month for like all of the NES library that I could just access anytime, I think that's a great solution, but there's a lot of weird licensing stuff that makes that hard to do. And also there are people going like, well, we could actually charge you ten dollars for just mario but it's just like that stuff at a certain point the there's diminishing returns on making money on that stuff and it's just like hey how about you just let them download mario but like they're gonna do it anyway (laughs) and i don't want to see i hate to see really anything go away which is why like there's stuff that i wouldn't care about anyway except that it's rare and i'm just like oh wow the howling seven or whatever it is howling five like it's like well this was never released it's like okay well then actually i am interested in it because like what (laughs) is it you know like it's just such a weird thing yeah i mean i think that's part of this issue across any of these modern media it's this durability question is a really modern problem because you know back in the day if all you had was books or stone temples or something i mean these were things that were either very long lasting or something that could be very easily copied over and over again so that it had durability over time and now you know the first time that i heard anything about media preservation was the question of um you know the big film studios in hollywood having these huge warehouses of film that was just rotting away or they were throwing into dumpsters and you know i think it was amc was was doing a big push to save some of these films that would otherwise just be completely lost and that we would not have this footage anymore so are you one of those people who's bought the white album like 15 Ugh. times just because yes. you have to have it in every possible <laughs> form <laughs> yes and i keep i keep saying like okay well i don't need the new rem- how much could they have re- oh we found a whole new you know microphone that was turned on like i don't you know it's like, okay yeah i guess fine i'll buy it again like I'll buy it and not even listen to it. I'm just like, all right, now I have it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I am. I mean, it's I, I have to draw. I draw certain lines where I'm like, okay, I can't be a total crazy person. Like I don't need this thing that I don't care that much about. But yeah, I mean, I am a big Beatles fan, actually. And so like the Sgt. Pepper reissue and this like there's an Abbey Road one that I don't have that it's 
bugging me that I don't have that yeah I definitely will eventually get around to because it's like I feel like it's weird how much of that stuff feels like it is on the fan in a weird way like because you have those stories exactly like you're talking about of like a warehouse is full of film that just like are going to degrade or there's going to be a fire one day and we just won't have that anymore um, and obviously you know companies are taking it more seriously now and they're digitizing things uh, as they go but yeah like there are plenty of old movies like Metropolis or like a bunch of the old Doctor Who from the 60s that like for like decades people were like well we don't have that anymore it's actually gone people like literally loved it at the time and were huge fans and now it's gone and then like in a couple decades later someone's like actually my uncle has a print and it's like some fan <laughs> who kept it because he thought it was important and now everybody has it again have you ever been inclined to do that to like go to you know thrift stores or, or swap meets or something and, and look to see if you could find like the one copy of a lost doctor who episode or something yeah i definitely i think maybe more in, when i was in college and was just like trolling weird record stores i was a little more that person i definitely you know will pick up a copy of like i have a vhs of like mr t's be somebody or be somebody's fool which is just <laughs> priceless and i'm pretty sure you can get that easily now but uh everyone needs to own a copy of that you know stuff like that that is like weird curios that or you know i was i was saying to to uh, ann uh about like the star wars holiday special which i'm not even a huge star wars fan but like the fact that that was like this thing that was tape traded around so much because like some one person had a copy and then it was like a 16th generation vhs copy that people would like trade at conventions and that stuff's obviously easier uh and more in the public knowledge now but at the time it was like this that was like a very big cachet of like, have you seen this? Like, you can't see it anywhere, but I have it. It was definitely like a sort of a fandom litmus test if you had seen it or not, if you were cool enough to have found someone who had a copy. Yeah, right. And not like, not this guy's copy. That guy's copy shit. My copy's clearer <laughs> and it has the original commercials in it. You know, like that was, it's a big deal. It's weird because like Shout Factory, for example, recently they came out and were like, well, there's 200 episodes of this show, Mystery Science Theater, and we released as many as we could. And there's six that we're never going to get the rights to. So here's all like the host segments, parts of those episodes that we can release. And like, we're going to put those on a DVD for anybody who's crazy and wants them. And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> I'll take my like crappy, you know, bootleg copy of the episode and I'll edit in the DVD parts I can edit in. So like 70% of it's better quality. Like this is how I uh, spend my time. <laughs> you ever like realize as you're talking that you're a crazy person? <laughs> least once a day this is a safe space for that i think that's the kind of the whole concept of the show that no one's going to judge you um at least in the confines of the show yeah well yeah once it's released we'll see <laughs> no it's really interesting though because like and, and i don't know if there's a question tailing off of this thought we'll see when we get there but the idea of like the degradation of media at like just naturally happening because of what it was printed on at the time that's just recently been a really big like conversation in like the comics and art world of like great you're using like risograph which is like really aesthetically cool it's gonna degrade in like 50 years yeah and it's not gonna be as bright anymore and it's not gonna be like and do you as an artist have like a obligation to make things archival it's just interesting to see how like that persists in basically every single media ever because you know at the time like would we've been shooting like 35 film has like such an iconic like look and feel to it but now it's like falling apart you know so we're losing originals like that i mean yeah there isn't a question here it's just, it's just <laughs> no. a thought i'm having no no i mean like that is an incredibly good point because like that leads to the restoration part of things right where you're like there's two questions one if you make art on, on a very like intangible or very like uh, volatile material then like okay well you can immediately take a digital scan of that at least but then is that the same art 
or not. And if you have this film that we have sitting in warehouses, like that, and you want to save it from like degradation, digitizing it's a great way to do it. But then it's like, okay, well, we'll just digitize it, you know, to 2K. It's like, what did the, well, no, wait, we actually 8K, hold on. And then it's like, <laughs> you get into the, all these arguments of like, well, what's the right way to, to preserve something? Because we think that like 8K is the absolute best we can do. And probably it's the absolute best film can do anyway, but don't worry about it. But like, <laughs> it sounds great now. But then if you look back at like, I have, I definitely have stuff that like, I should shot in VHS in college that I digitized at the time trying to be smart. And I look at it and it's like a real player video that's one by one. I'm like, well, what did I think I was going to do with this? You know, some of those, some of those VHS tapes are now trash and I kind of lost that stuff, you know, and that was just 10 to eight years ago, you know? Well, and then you start to get into a real like ship of Theseus argument of like, if you're digitizing it and you're making it like clearer and crisper, yeah. is it the same film anymore? Right. You know, like have yeah. you somehow changed the art and now it's not the same art anymore? Right. Like film, you know, naturally has that film grain and like that was never something that was like that was not an intentional design of film it's just like here's some spots of mercury or whatever that didn't get full or got too much developed i don't know about film something like that but then it's like okay when you digitize that do you keep all that or do you try to clean it up like it was not in it wasn't really the intent of the filmmaker but if you want it to look exactly like it looked at the time somebody sent me like uh you know those star wars projects where they're like we're gonna make it like it looked exactly when it looked you know it was in the theaters not any of this Lucas revisionist stuff. But then in those communities, there's all this argument of like, well, you cleaned it up too much, you know? I remember the DVD, like, or the blue, or the, the VHS tape, and I want it to look like that version, the way I remembered from that. Yeah, a lot of the degradation has become, like, weirdly part of the aesthetic. I mean, it's the same thing with, like, Instagram filters that are supposed to mimic, like, old cameras. Like, the, the 70 zero ones are always very yellow and red, and it's not because that's what photos look like, or that's what the world looked like. It's because the those the blue colors went first when people's photo prints uh, degraded over time. So we we like imagine the past is looking different than it did just because the evidence that we have for it is is wrong, is misleading because it's degraded. Totally. I find that stuff really, really interesting. Like emulation for video games, again, it's like uh, you can emulate it pixel perfect exactly the way the software is telling it to run. And you can play it that way. But then there are settings and emulators that are like, well, it didn't actually run that way in your TV. Your TV stretched it out a little. And like the developers of the games at the time knew it was going to stretch it out a little. So actually they intended it to look not pixel perfect, like so that we can squash it a little bit to make it look a little like it would have looked. But it's still like you're, you're running it through a filter of how you expect it to look versus like anything that is literally what it did it's like nowadays when you plug like an nes into like a nice flat screen tv and you're like oh wow this looks (laughs) awful right exactly (laughs) this is the worst and it's because you're not seeing it through like a dusty crt monitor you know that's like flickering every once in a while right from like 12 feet away yeah i don't know i the the video game aspect of it is so interesting i mean like obviously online you know services are a big part of that same conversation like we talk about this at work because we have you don't know jack volume five uh which was a server-based thing and it's the only one that's not in the classic pack because it's like well those servers don't exist anymore so kind of useless to sell this but it's something that like we talk about like oh but there was there were good questions in that is there any way to like do it and it's just it's so not a good business decision to try to make that work you know (laughs) for like the one person who wants to play uh trivia from 2004 again you know (laughs) more people than you would think i think i know i mean i'm there but i have a thought and i'm not quite sure 
how to figure it out. Um, because I'm really interested in this idea that, like, because I never actually connected the two ideas that the reason MST3K episodes didn't come out, like, on DVD was because they lost the licensing rights and could not get them back. And, and I think especially because, like, that's an issue we're seeing now with a lot more games, like, through, like, streaming platforms. Like, oh, mm-hmm. this game's on Steam, and we've lost all the rights to the music, and no one can play it anymore. Right. Like, <laughs> it's, like, like you when you have media that exists on platforms that are, like, there is no physical version of it. It's solely on a digital platform and when that's gone it's gone is there again i don't have a question i just have thoughts today apparently (laughs) yeah i mean i think that's totally uh that's totally part of it like uh, even if it is available so like sometimes that stuff gets edited or it just goes away there's also stuff like um mass effect 3 right where the game came out everybody hated the ending and so they were like uh okay don't worry and they've just patched a different ending in so it's like that version of the game that was the released version of the game for like a week kind of doesn't exist anymore unless you play it on an xbox that you don't run any updates on because it's soon as you put the disc in it patches to a different ending it's like if people were like this mona lisa i hate it and he and da vinci was like well i'll just add a little mustache and it'll be great and it's like no i wanted you know you're not given like a choice as a consumer to be like wait i want show me how it was because i wanted that thing when something is exists only digitally then it can be changed without even you knowing and it's like eventually it's like is this the thing i bought or not. And that's that's like the blessing and the curse of, of having things available digitally, that it makes them more accessible, that it sometimes makes them longer lasting in terms of people having access to them. But you also risk really damaging the kind of artistic integrity of it because it's constantly updatable or, or affected by that. Like I know um, Supernatural is one of the shows on Netflix where they didn't have the music rights. So the music in the aired version, or I think on TNT as well, um, in reruns is completely different than the music that you see when you watch it on Netflix. And that's like an artistic decision that, you know, I mean, a lot of it d- did have to do with rights, too. I mean, there may have been some writer wanted some song and they couldn't get the licensing for it. So they said, well, let's do this other one. It's fine. And it might not have been their original vision. But whatever Netflix came up with was definitely not the original vision in the way that it aired. I hope it's just like Ice Cream Man music over the most dramatic scene. <laughs> <laughs> that-, <laughs> <laughs> that would be very good. I don't think any of it is um, is quite that distinct destructive to the artistic choices although now i kind of wish that it was yeah i mean music is kind of insidious in that way right where you're like this scene just isn't working for me and i don't know why and like it's like well the the original music you really i swear it would have worked for you or whatever you know music is is probably the biggest bane like i was this i swear to god this has just happened yesterday i feel like my entire life is aligning to be on this podcast at this very moment um <laughs> But I was trying to burn my, my project this year is to finish like ripping all my DVDs and Blu-rays to digital so I'm, that I have them in a way that's easy for me to stream and finding that that is, you know, a time consuming process. But also you find that like some of the DVDs don't work anymore, which is like great to learn. But I ripped I was ripping this uh, episode of uh, a bit of Fry and Lori, the sketch show. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Uh, I just ripped all these six episodes and one of them is like shorter than the others. Did it like break? Did the DVD screw up? And I was trying to figure it out. Out. And I looked up that episode online. It was like, oh, uh, they sing Hey Jude in the middle of this. And that's not going to be on the American DVD because I didn't get the rights. And it's like, well, then it's not I didn't get the I really didn't get it, did I? You know, and now in all facets of law, I think if you get away with it once, you should get away with it permanently. Uh, if you, you know, <laughs> nobody catches you stealing candy. <laughs> double indemnity should apply to everything. <laughs> uh, actually, I probably should take that back immediately. <laughs> 
Maybe maybe you should not say that in a relatively durable format. Uh, oh no! Uh, can you can we uh, release an update to this podcast that deletes my voice out of it? Anyway, yeah. But you know, it's it feels like I grew. I mean, my experience is that a lot of people don't care about this, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, it's that version. It's basically what I remember it being. It's fine. But it's always sort of bugged me um, more than I think. It does a lot of people. Yeah, I think it probably doesn't bother people right up into the point that they want to watch Stargate on Netflix and it's not there or, you know, whatever, like whatever it is that they go looking for and they discover that it's it's just gone. I mean, because a lot a lot of um, especially with uh, the rise of streaming, I mean, there have been a lot of platforms that have just crashed and burned like CISO and Comic-Con HQ and the content that was on those platforms for the most part is gone. It's just it's just nowhere. It's just ceased to exist, which is really quite tragic, honestly. Uh, it's very frustrating. I mean, this must be something that you worry about with your own work. I mean, we've talked about that a little bit, but do you ever think about that like when you're making something of like being concerned that it may not be as, as, as lasting as you want it to be? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, in the actual like moment we're working on it, we are, we work on a fairly compressed schedule and it's just sort of like, we just got to do it. But then it's it's weird, like I'll look at, something we did a couple years ago and go like oh it's weird this is running slightly better or slightly worse because of server updates we've done or something like that or um like you know our controller which all happens on the phone it's all it's a website you the updates get made to that and maybe something works a little bit differently than it did when we released the game and i'm like well this isn't quite what i made like i just you feel so like <laughs> like and i'm not i'm not going like this is a pixel off but like <laughs> you know there are some things that we update feature wise or whatever that are like oh this is better than it was before and some things where it's like oh I wish that I'd known they were going to do it this way uh it's that thing of things being more malleable than you kind of want them to be but yeah I mean when we uh did you don't know Jack a big thing I wanted to do was to have a physical team gift and you made that possible thank you so much <laughs> uh which was I uh asked you to make you know these all these plush fours for the team because I wanted there to be something physical from what we had done because there was for all the other jacks essentially like you couldn't give anybody a box of this game and so I was like we need to have something that's like we we touched the history of this long running thing and then we also actually uh really coolly ended up get it working with a company to make some like 3D shadow boxes of Pack 5s art and so I got that as well so I can be like this is going on the wall I did this but yeah if even though I made that game and I have more access than anybody if a meteor were to hit Jackbox and we didn't exist anymore I couldn't play it ever again you know <laughs> So, I mean, it's definitely something I think about. I'm not the meteor, although I do think about that occasionally. <laughs> but just sort of like the uh, the fragility of that stuff. I mean, it's it it should be sort of more common practice for us to go like, okay, like it's the it's the updated idea of the Library of Congress, right? Where it's like, all right, we considered you to be important enough, and you come over here, and we promise you that everybody will always be able to look at this. Yeah, that kind of sense of at least I don't know that you can actually achieve lasting permanence, but you can at least achieve attempting to create lasting permanence for things. Yeah, I mean, even if it's permanence of something that was very flawed, and it was just like, here's what they did. And you can tell that they didn't have enough time to do it. But that's weird, huh? This is how it came out. <laughs> I think streaming is making that stuff a little bit better because, A, people want more content to fill out their services. But also, it's sort of like, well, we have this. Might as well throw it up. The, the sort of in-between technology was the made-to-order DVDs, which I was also really into, where, like, for a while, like, Warner Archives did this. And I think a couple other companies did where they're like, yeah, we're not going to put Penn & Teller Get Killed in stores. 
loss. Like we don't think people are going <laughs> to flock to it and like we're not going to take the loss. But if you want it, we will print a DVDR for you and send it to you. And like that was I was a big user of that invention. Has your experience with like making games or any any other media and and seeing how like those things affect it as time goes on, has that like changed your mentality around like your creative process at all? I don't know. It's Maybe a little bit. I do think about, like, will this game be funny and interesting for more than a year? Like, with You Don't Know Jack, it was especially interesting because when Jackbox made those original games, they started out with a very big shared pot of cultural references because everybody either was alive in the 60s or watched a lot of Nick at Night. And so <laughs> you could talk about Dick Van Dyke show. Everybody was on board. Every I, We played all of those old games again before we made the new one, and it was like, there are literally three dozen Brady Bunch questions <laughs> in the first game. And then, you know, making full stream uh, last year or a year ago, two years ago, something like that. It was a little bit different. Like Arnie was, you know, in charge of editorial on that. And he was like, you know, we can't, there aren't as many shared cultural touchstones anymore because everything is more niche. So it's like, well, we can make a joke about something that happened on, you know, Twitter, but like, you're going to forget about that. Like, what are the things that like are good enough for a reference, but will stay fresh at least for a year or two so you can actually like use the game? So yeah, we definitely thought about stuff like that. But I also do hope that like people continue to find that the wrong answer chicken and stuff like that for years to come. I, I hope that people like don't see it, our games as that disposable either, where it's like, eh, whatever, they make a new one every year, I can play the next one i i think there's we put enough work into it that i'm hoping people are like you know what i will dust off party pack two or three because like there's still stuff that's really cool in there yeah i mean i i think some of it um just from like a nostalgia standpoint or an interest standpoint like i know our mutual friend stod has dusted off some very old games that were only available like on cd-rom uh we had some trouble getting it to work but you know to, to have that kind of experience of sometimes it's interesting that something is a time capsule that's kind of unchanged which is i mean obviously one of the, the interesting side effects of uh burgeoning streaming and having to put so much on these services is that there are some older intact works that are very much a product of their time that they've decided not to update, that they've decided not to change um, but to preserve as they were. So it does seem like maybe things are changing a little bit in that respect, like having kind of respect, I guess, for uh, these older works as they were to understand the, the climate in which they were made. I hope so. I think that stuff is getting better. Um, I mean, I think that people kind of made fun of Disney for putting that disclaimer on on a couple of things of like, hey, this was a product of its time. And just so you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I think that's a good idea. I'm glad they're doing it. I think that it's fair to say, like, we acknowledge that this isn't something we would have made today, but we also acknowledge that it contains, uh, that it has importance in other ways. And so here it is. So you can watch it or not watch it. I think that's kind of the way to, to go. And I think more uh, recently, Warner Brothers has been a little bit better about releasing some of the older Bugs Bunny stuff that is like, you know, keeps, you know, him smoking a cigar intact because God forbid we ever see somebody smoke and I'll die instantly. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, now, I mean, like, there's obviously like... Like, like, I don't, I'm not one of the people who's like, put out Song of the South. It's like, I, I get it. I, I get it. There, I think there at various times have been like museum things where you can go watch Song of the South. And I feel like I would love to always have that kind of option where it's like, I'm going to go specifically to see this in context, along with, I assume, like a, a display that says like, here's how this was made and here are all the mistakes they made. <laughs> um, but it's still like worth knowing about. Like, I don't think it's it's super beneficial to erase a lot of stuff from culture. I think it's better to like put it in a context. But I'm not out there being like, put it out on Blu-ray. Like, I get it. I, if I owned Song <laughs> of the South, I would also not release Song of the South. 
Um, but you know, I think that I think that there's a a middle ground there where you can be like, here's a movie that has a lot of things we think are really great about it, and some stuff, you know, hopefully very few things that we think are bad about it, and you can enjoy it and keep both of those things in mind. Like like White Christmas is one of my favorite movies. There is a scene in the middle that like doesn't have blackface in it, but kind of almost does. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. there's the minstrel portion, and it's like the stuff they're referencing is like very is they're referencing minstrel like you know tradition and stuff without actually going the one step further which is good that they didn't so every time i watch that it's sort of like yeah oh right yeah this isn't great but i don't want that movie to go away and i don't want that scene to be edited out because i feel like it's better to say like here's what this work was remember it as it actually was and then come to your own conclusion whether you think that there is still value there or not although you get this sort of weird these weird edge case things too because of like something will air on tv but they cut something out for censorship or whatever and then they go like well now this movie's too short uh let's put some deleted scenes in it so it actually runs the right length and then the version that you grow up with is a version where you remember this scene that isn't in the movie so like you get it on dvd and you're like well there's way more sex in this movie than i thought but where's the great scene i remember and so then they finally release like well okay fine we'll release the extended cut it'll have everything in it and now you're like well now this movie's just too long and the pacing's terrible like what (laughs) version of that movie is the real version at that point I am like this close to going off about like Muppet Christmas Carol right now. Oh my god! <laughs> that just made me think. Not Release the, not... the Snyder cut of Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> you can't cut the song out in the middle that has a reprise. Yes. It doesn't work like that. And it also makes Rizzo look like he's way overreacting. Like, what do you do? Don't cry. <laughs> you have to get me there with the song. I agree. The song is great. I've derailed us completely, but it just no. Listen, I'm top of my mind. Carefully monitoring how much Muppet stuff I. Talk talk about because i could also do a whole episode on that <laughs> uh, let's just say that if you haven't purchased emma daughter's jug band christmas the latest blu-ray is very good they put almost everything back in and you should go get it. yeah I, I distinctly remember a christmas where we we bought that on uh one of the earlier dvd releases and we were like are we hallucinating or was there stuff that used to be in this film that is not anymore which i assume they have put back in so i will have to look into that it's worth doing like i don't know if they because because kermit stuff got put back in so i don't know if the henson company did a deal with Disney or somebody else got the right. Maybe Disney decided to release it, you know, and did the opposite deal. I don't know. It is mostly restored. But then there's stuff like Muppet Family Christmas, like I was saying, where all the music gets cut that it's like, I've had to like, I went um, to C2E2 last year and I was, somebody was selling their own bootleg DVD of it. I'll put it back together. And I was like, great, that's, I'll buy that. And it's been much better than any official release. <laughs> but you can see like, you can totally see that this guy was as crazy as me because it's like the DVD perfect quality that I stole. And then it transitions <laughs> into the VHS copy that I taped, you know, when the stuff. <laughs> but it's like, you know, those masters exist just like, right, it's Disney. You can't pay for the rights to Jingle Bells. <laughs> Like, come on. <laughs> right. Yeah, those those people are uh, longtime staples of the convention circuit, that there would be one sort of fantasy salesperson basically in the back who was selling uh, originally VHS copies and then burned DVDs of, of all of the shows that at that point were, were lost to time. You know, something you watched when you were a kid that you can't get anymore. And that was the only way that was the only way to get it. And there's sort of this question of like, is it I mean, it's still illegal, but is it wrong? Like if you're buying something that you absolutely couldn't get any other way or you're watching it on YouTube when you absolutely couldn't get it any other way. You know, there's this this weird, like, ethical question of your responsibility to the rights holder and the law versus your responsibility to the work. 
Right. I think you said it correctly in that it is illegal, but not immoral. I think that um, I I tend to think that there is a certain amount of responsibility that you have to the shared culture to make something available if it's been available at least once. Like, you know, if it's something unreleased and that person doesn't want to release it, then fine. But if it's like it was out there and now we're just going to not release it, usually not because of any kind of weird scandal. Like, you know, it's not like, um, you know, Lucas was expressly like, don't release the holiday special. Like, that's one thing. But it's it was more just like, eh, we don't think anyone's going to buy this, so we're not going to really do it. I think that putting that stuff out there is something that you should do. And obviously, like, there were times when that was more expensive than it is now, then I get it. But if you don't put it out there, I don't think you can begrudge somebody from finding it in other ways. I consider myself pretty against piracy. But then if I if I try my best and I can't find it anywhere, then I'm going to like, well, all right, somebody must have this. And I'm not going to not watch the Transformers Christmas special. That'd be crazy. <laughs> I actually just made that up. I don't know if there's a Transformers Christmas. There probably is. Do you have like a, I guess like a series or a movie or something that like, if it you could be like your dream, like having it restored in its original format, like what would that be? Oh man, that's an excellent question. I feel like I've been a little bit spoiled lately because a lot of that stuff finally came out. Like you can get Clone High on DVD now finally, which was a big one. I mean, Mystery Science Theater is big, but Shout Factory has done pretty much everything they can uh you know i was a big this did come out on dvd but i was a big fan of like the clerks cartoon series like way more than the clerks movies yeah i don't know or like uh you know muppets tonight has never gotten a release of any kind the the muppet show has missing seasons i'm trying to think of one that's just like this never came out and i would really i'm trying to i mean like i made fun of teen angel but i would watch teen angel (laughs) if it were out is it maybe i should look this is like how i get into like i'll I'll just be talking to my sister about like do you remember that weird thing and like as we're on the phone i'm like yeah i'm buying it now (laughs) Um, because i am a monster like i think that the internet has helped sort of promote the idea of like people want this stuff and they want it correctly and so that there's a market for it so it's a little bit easier now but it's still still a rough road because i feel like people are more inclined to just do the easiest thing and then give up rather than be like well actually you cut five seconds off of this i'd really love those five seconds back and like oh great we'll release a whole new dvd for that no i don't think so but yeah i don't know it's i'm sure that if i if i thought about it more like my my golden sort of like white whales a golden white whale if you will um (laughs) it used to be like all the space quest games but those are all out now the original sam and max comics by steve purcell but those are collected now which is good and like gosh what else there was like yeah i'm trying to think of like little ryan's wish list but I think most of it's actually it's actually come out now. But there's still some things like, you know, you can get like Shock Treatment, which is a crazy sequel to Rocky Horror uh, made by the original writer. That is my friend and I in high school always talked about how we would never get it on DVD. It was only on VHS. And eventually it finally did come out on DVD. And we were like, wow, this is great. And then it's still not out on Blu-ray. It's like, ah, but I just but I know there's a there's a version <laughs> where I can see it even better. Actually, I, I'll tell you what my dream would have been, but it came out a while ago, would have been uh, Next Generation, Star Trek Next Generation because like knowing all that stuff was shot on film but then you know edited in an sd and they actually went back and like painstakingly went back to the negatives scanned it for blu-ray but of course because they all the effects were done in sd they had to redo all the effects so is it still the original show (laughs) (laughs) i think it's fine I feel I feel like in the late 90s, I, I we would have had some sort of conversation about uh, like pan and scan and whether or not it was an atrocity. Oh. 
Answer, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, or uh, the the sort of weird sister to Panscan, the open mat presentation, where it's like, we'll make it fill your screen, but we're not cutting it. We're just showing you the top and bottom that they originally masked off uh, when they filmed it. But it's like, now I'm suddenly seeing a boom mic in every scene. So this isn't quite <laughs> the thing either. Yeah, I've, I've seen some uh, very funny screenshots from Buffy that apparently they, I forget what, if it was on streaming or some somewhere people were watching Buffy recently. They've, uh, they've in fact done that. And they've, there's like, you know, some guy with a coffee in the background or whatever <laughs> and like you can see the strings there was the best shot was uh like xander reaching down into a hole and you can see the person who's holding him by the pants to keep him yes. from falling. <laughs> yes i mean maybe that's an even better version of the show it's a different version for sure i, I don't know whether it's uh, better or worse but it's definitely different but now both of those versions can exist in tandem is yeah. the thing and that's like double the fun i mean that's the the perfect outcome is if like i i feel like i'm also the audience for some of those weird versions of like this is expressly not how they wanted you to see it but check this out you know of things like there was that movie oh they did like a fourth was it fourth no they like a fifth omen prequel or something several years ago where they're like it's the omen prophecy or something they shot the whole thing the studio looked at it and was like this was a mistake and so <laughs> they like paid a totally different director to come in re shoot like half of it and then re-edit it and now both of those cuts are available and they're like completely different movies with the same characters i find that stuff really interesting and fascinating whereas like i would not have cared that much about a prequel to the omen if that story was not attached to it that's kind of the myth of something like the snyder cut really that there is one true version of any work of art that exists independent of all of the things that you left in or the things that you cut out or the effects that didn't work or were never finished like i i don't know that you can really look at art that way that there is a gospel version of it that is accurate and everything else is wrong i agree it's it's weird it's you have to kind of find the one i guess that you connect with but you may only ever see one version and have an opinion based on that version and some and be talking to somebody who disagrees and they're talking about two separate movies like i had never seen heat before until recently and i turned it on and i was like this movie is three hours but then i like and i watched that version but also i looked it up and it was like well that's obviously michael mann's super director's cut with everything in it i'm like i could have cut an hour out of this movie easily so maybe i would have liked <laughs> it's weird right because then it's like well what's the official canon thing or like i i've never actually seen uh most of the lord of the rings movies it's just not quite my thing so i but then i i talk to people i'm like should i watch the extended cuts and everyone who loves no. lord of the rings is like yes right but everyone who, who likes movies is like no <laughs> no no don't watch the extended ones first definitely not theatrical well, cut i'm gonna hold my tongue here <laughs> i am i'm also emily i am in the lord of the rings fan club my name is in the credits for that film <laughs> okay fair enough <laughs> I paid like $20 in like 1999 to have my uh, to have my name in the credits of that movie. You paid Andy Serkis directly, which was a weird choice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's weird. I don't know. I like I like pontificating about these things, and I like having seven mo versions of the same movie that I'm never going to watch, but I have them. <laughs> no, I never, and I never like consider the idea like you could be talking. I mean, like, granted, if you want to get like art schooly about it, like no piece of art's ever the same because different people are looking at it. Mm -hmm. eh. um, <laughs> I'm saying that as an artist, but also it's like I never like I saw Blade Runner and hated it, and then the discussion became, well, wh which version of Blade Runner did you see? And I was like, what? I don't understand. <laughs> Yeah. Is there one? Like, 
I mean, there are people who are like, the version with the voiceover that everybody hates is a lot easier to follow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I could see that because I think I saw the director's cut and I was like, the pacing of this makes me want to cry because I'm so bored. (laughs) And I know that's like, that would probably like piss some people off to no end because like, there are people who love that cut of the movie. But again, that then that comes into taste. So like, yeah, really, we should just have like two different cuts of every single movie uh, so that everyone can choose which one they like best. Like ice cream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The director should release all the raw footage after right. they're done and you can edit exactly. your own movie. I mean, that'd be amazing. <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah, it's, it's totally true. There are so many director's cuts. I mean, obviously the director's cut is like cinema shorthand for better, but there are plenty of director's cuts that are much worse because the studio rightly said this doesn't need to be in this. You know, some people work better with an editor and some people, well, almost everybody works better with an editor, but some people were fighting a studio that knew what they were talking about and some people weren't. Yeah, the kind of like weird artistic joy of deleted scenes being this thing that was added. I mean, originally with Laserdiscs, I guess, um, was probably the first place where you could have gotten a deleted scene uh, was that most of the time you look at it and you think, oh, I know why that was cut. (laughs) And like in terms of insight into filmmaking, you're like, oh, wow. So there is this stuff that they shoot and then they immediately go, why did we do that? We don't need this. This doesn't accomplish anything. And and it helps you better understand, I think, how how films are constructed and why. Totally. And it makes you uh, realize that even the best creative minds, they can't see the future, right? It's like, I wrote that we wrote the script, we did 10 drafts of the script, we worked on it night and day, we got the perfect version. Then we started shooting it and we changed everything because like we, as we came in, we were like, well, this doesn't, this doesn't read. Or like, this scene is redundant because we, you know, if you see this scene, you get everything about it, which is fascinating. It's nice to have that stuff as a deleted scene to be like, oh, cool, this is what that would have been like. But yeah, and then, you know, if you get too zealous and you're like, well, we got to have the extended R-rated super don't tell your mom cut and everything's in it. (laughs) And it's like, this is literally four hours of nothing with a secret good movie buried in it somewhere. I mean, there is definitely a flip side because like my first encounter for the early years of my life with Star Wars was a 12 minute uh, home projector cut of it, which loses, (laughs) I would say, most of the film. (laughs) Yeah, I think you can mathematically be confident in saying that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's fantastically funny. Um, I, I pulled it out at some point uh, relatively recently after I'd obviously seen the full version of, of the first Star Wars movie and um, watching watching it with just like basically the Death Star blows up for no reason. And you're like, I don't, yeah. and then everybody's happy and you're like, huh, okay. Wait, like, <laughs> what are the th- I mean, I guess it makes sense, but they cut the whole trench run. Like that would seem very I think, vital. Yeah, I think they cut everything except the end, like the, the targeting computer bit. I think it was everything okay. except that shot, like that shot and then the Death Star blows up and then um like people are getting medals and that's it um and it ends and you're like huh uh you know so it is it is a very very strange way to see a film um that is insane that reminds me of i have not seen this version but i heard a story about i forget if it was the phantom i think it wasn't the fan i think it was like episode two of the prequels um the one that's Wait, the second one's Attack of the Clones, right? Attack of the Clones. Clones. Ooh, it took me a second too, so don't worry. (laughs) I was like, what is that dumb movie called? But they did an IMAX release of it, okay? And apparently, and stop me if you already know this, but apparently at the time the there was a hard limit on how long an IMAX movie could be because the projectors were huge and the reels could only be so huge so in order to make the IMAX version uh, they cut like 20 minutes out of the movie and everyone was like that was a much better movie like it was like <laughs> you were like constrained by the right technical constraints on this one 
like, <laughs> hey, it looks great and it's shorter. I'll watch it. And it, I want to like just have all that stuff because it's just I find that like fascinating. And the ephemera of it is so cool. And I'm glad that a lot of that can be digital now because like like I recently just uh, sold or I guess I just gave away like four boxes of comics that I'm like, well, I can get these digitally now. I don't need to like take up the space. So in other words, I in my, in my digital era, now that I can store more things, I've only gotten worse with what I will take on board. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally like as we're talking about this looking at the Batman 60s show Blu-rays that I've been ripping earlier in the day uh, and then I was pleasantly looking online to be like oh good so I'll do this and this and let me just see if anyone says anything about this and then I saw a blog post that was like Batman Blu-rays cut six minutes and I'm like god damn it <laughs> <laughs> it's an endless quest <laughs> it's an endless quest you've chosen a very Sisyphean uh, task with I know <laughs> And it's like a real ignorance is bliss scenario because it's not like I would have identified those six minutes watching it. But now I know for all time. (laughs) Okay. I don't. So the thing is, is like typically we ask like if someone was trying to get like interested into your topic, how would you pitch it to them? But your topic is very like broad scope. I recommend having a better personality to that person. (laughs) (laughs) I recommend having slightly more friends in in middle school. (laughs) Oh, man, I think I already blew that one. It's too late. <laughs> oh, no. Seriously, though, I do think, like, maybe maybe I think the way to turn this is, is more in, like, why is media preservation important? And, like, why should people care about it, basically? Yeah, I mean, I think that you definitely don't have to be a crazy person like me uh, to appreciate this stuff. I think that it's important because you don't really want what's what's profitable for a company to dictate what art is in the public consciousness, right? There's plenty of really great art that is not populist, that is not super popular, but it really touches some people very deeply. And there's also plenty of art that is it's not commercially viable to to improve it or to improve the way it is available or released, uh, but it would be very culturally uh, valuable to do so. And so, you know, we're not going to solve that problem overnight. But I guess like what I would say is if there's something that you identify that you like and care about, like dig a little deeper than you might normally. Like if you're the kind of person who like, oh, I really like, you know, uh, Fast and the Furious movies or something, which I do as well. Like uh, I'm not picking like a lowest common denominator example, (laughs) to be clear. I also like those movies. But, you know, you might go like, oh, well, there's really great lists online of like other great action and driving movies like Bullet and, you know, Heat that like influence those movies. Like, let me go check those out and just see what came before. And maybe I'll get interested in that. And like, just sort of expand your cultural awareness so that you kind of have an idea of what else is out there just beyond the top row of your streaming recommendations. Just because you'll find yourself with more interesting reference points and a more interesting life. And then if you're watching Animaniacs and they make fun of Hitchcock, you'll know what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) And isn't that the goal? with anything absolutely (laughs) to be able to understand all the references in animaniacs (laughs) i mean that's a sisyphean journey right (laughs) and i am on it honestly i think i learned more film history from animaniacs than i did from actual film history class so (laughs) you know that's actually that tags on another quick thing which is that i think a lot of people are like oh don't show them that they wouldn't get it because they'd have to get something else to get this like people will absolutely get it like i watched plenty of like warner brothers cartoons that referenced stuff i hadn't seen but then you go like well why is what's the deal with this like reference and you go oh it's a reference to jimmy cagney or somebody i wouldn't have been exposed to and then you go watch that movie like all this stuff is a gateway 
to other interesting things. So I feel like some people are like, eh, like, you know, superhero movies, extremely popular now. I don't have to like advocate for them. But there are people who are like, oof, I don't want to see this. I would never get it. It's like, you may not like it, but you can absolutely get it. You can figure it out and it may make you interested in something you didn't know you liked. I'm trying to like stop when I'm like, yeah, that, yeah, Ryan, you really nailed it. <laughs> no, that was good. That was a good. No, it was a good thought. I just didn't have anything to like punctuate that. That was. It was very good. I literally could literally stop, not talk nonstop about this kind of stuff, and never <laughs> ever turn it off. And do you have like a, a hypothetical question chamber? Yeah, I do. I think okay. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna walk it in a little bit more than I usually do, just because I think you will probably already know about this, but just for the listeners in case they don't, there is a theater called the New Beverly in Los Angeles, which is currently owned by Quentin Tarantino, which is a vintage theater that shows um, a 35 millimeter prints of old films, things that usually would not would not have been screened. I think sometimes things that are not on DVD, usually they are. So if you had access for, let's say a weekend, so you have a little bit extra time to a theater where you could program it doesn't have to be movies, it can be TV, whatever, video games, if you want to put them on a giant screen. What pieces of media would you choose to present? Either things that are currently preserved or things that are not that you wish were. Wow, that would be amazing. I'm like having a tyranny of choice moment. <laughs> um, I think that I would show like definitely Mystery Science Theater, at least one of those, because I feel like there you get two, you get a double shot of like, here's some really great comedy from the 90s you may not know about. And also here's a really old movie from the 50s you may not know about at the same time. But I would also show like, I'm trying to think, like I would probably show like weird cartoons from my childhood, like the Beetlejuice cartoon show, or like the real Ghostbusters. I mean, that one's like more known, but um, like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, maybe <laughs> just like stuff that's like, or, you know, no, let me actually rephrase return of the killer tomatoes which is the sequel just like george clooney is george clooney's first acting first on-screen role and it he is hilarious in it and he is like clearly already going to be a movie star uh but he's in this ridiculous movie about killer tomatoes and it's just like so weird and interesting to see and as a final answer i will now end with a thing i know what i'm gonna say as soon as the sentence ends <laughs> and that as we all know is oh i would do um count duckula uh those old <laughs> cartoons because <laughs> also just so weird and they're british so it's slightly weirder but they were on nickelodeon yeah just stuff like that that just sort of like that's like funny in a way that i don't normally see anymore so yeah probably that well, i look forward to this hypothetical like review of weird movies and <laughs> cartoons that will definitely somehow have to like figure out how to make work because now i just want this to exist in the world yes. i want you to have this weekend where you can just be like and here's all this stuff <laughs> And oh my you God. all get to watch it now. I mean, you couldn't watch it because I would be standing up in front of the screen talking about it the whole time. Like, Look at this. You're missing this. This is going to be so good. This part right here, it's great. <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much for uh, coming on and sharing this with us. This was delightful. My pleasure. I love you guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry it took so long to be on, and I'm excited <laughs> that I finally got to do it. I'm only moderately disappointed that we didn't ultimately force you to talk about street sharks, but I guess we kind of did in a roundabout way. <laughs> You know, I actually, part of me was like, what if I just wait until there's literally one topic they haven't talked about and I just have to pretend I know about it? I'm like, yeah, deep sea diving banks. I love them. 
Well, I'm glad it worked out that you could bring a topic that you could talk about in great detail. Absolutely. And I am <laughs> pleased to. Uh, where can people find you online? What do you want to plug? This is your space, so please feel free to use it. Uh, I uh, am part of a great podcast called Hello from the Magic Tavern at hellofromthemagictavern.com. It is an improvised comedy podcast that I do behind the scenes stuff for. Uh, I am I work at Jackbox Games at jackboxgames.com. We make video games that are party games that you can play and enjoy, even if you don't know about video games. You just need a phone. Uh, and I am on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash rdgiorgi, R-D-I-G-I-O-R-G-I. And I'm on Letterboxd, as you might assume, based on my <laughs> rant uh, as Hexfield there. Well, thank you so much again. Yeah, this thank you. Thanks, guys. It was so much fun. Now, now I think I have to Google really quickly whether or not the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes cartoon is available on DVD because I had not thought about oh, that in quite a long time. That's... You reminded me of it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Guilty Treasures. You can follow us on Twitter at TreasuresCast. If you have questions or comments, hit us up there or at our email, guiltytreasurescast at gmail.com. Or mail us a homemade remastered Blu-ray of a recording of your thoughts on this episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. And if you like the show, tell a friend. Or rent out a theater and include us in your special screening of obscure media. We pair well with Pirates of Darkwater. Until next time, let the dragon in your heart be happy.